Welcome to the Visma Ski Classics podcast, Usha Tulevi. Visma Ski Classics is the long-distance ski championships with 35 pro teams. In season 12, there are 14 races in 12 event locations, bringing pro team athletes and recreational skiers together. On this podcast series, we'll analyze the events on the Pro Tour and the Challenger Series, portray the legends of the sport, and help you to become a better skier. Once again, it's time for Usha Tulebi, our great and wonderful podcast series. I am your host, Teemu Virtanen, and my guest today is somewhere in northern Sweden, uh, in Kiruna to be more precise, uh, having a team training camp with his new team, Team Kurira. And of course, we are talking about the five-time Vasalopet podium skier and 12-time podium skier uh, in the Pro Tour, uh, former Team Kuteng member Stian Hölgard. It's good to have you on our show. And Stian, how's Kiruna right now? Hi, thanks for having me. Uh, Kiruna is great. Uh, it's uh, good conditions. It's cold and uh, yeah, great tracks. So can't complain. It's your first time over there. Uh, how does it feel? I mean, is uh, what, what kind of a place is Kiruna? Good tracks, but uh, does it seem like a place to to live? Ah, uh, no, I don't think so. <laughs> but you never know. But uh, I don't think I'll go back here when I'm when I'm done with skiing. But um, yeah, for now when I'm skiing, it's it's great. But um, yeah, I felt like I traveled the the half the world to get here. But uh, it's cold and it's snow, and uh, that's what we wanted. So it's perfect. Of course, it is perfect, and that's what you guys need. And we'll talk about your training camp. We'll talk about your uh, previous team, this team, and also your skiing and last season and the upcoming season and reveal a little bit about you as a person so that's going to uh, take place on this podcast but next we'll talk about your training camp and your new team and of course the upcoming season You are now in Team Kurira and you guys are having your team uh, training camp in Kiruna. We'll talk about that a little bit in training. But first of all, how does it feel to be in a new team? You are a Norwegian among Swedes. Yeah, it feels feels good. Uh, I like uh, yeah, both Sweden and the Swedish people. So, yeah, it's no problem for me. I think the, at least the, the language uh, barrier is probably more difficult uh, the other way around. So... I can see see the other guys in the team look like uh, question marks sometimes when I speak, but uh, I think it'll get better. But uh, yeah, it's uh, it's good. What actually prompted you to do this move? I mean, you had a good team, Team Kuteng, and you guys were successful, did pretty well, but you just felt that you needed a change, a new thing? This spring, it was a little bit uh, unknown uh, what would happen to Team Kuteng. Uh, we didn't know it, if it was going to be a team or uh, or not. And um, so, yeah, I needed to start checking around and look for other possibilities. And uh, at the end there, we knew that Team Kuteng would uh, go on further. But um, I also had an offer from yeah Team Carrera and... Um, 
it's uh, it was tempting to to try something new and uh, get in a new new group and uh, yeah, so I just jumped in it. So who approached you from this this team, or did you know Klaus Nielsen well, or who was the one who asked you to join this team? Uh, Johan was the one who first approached me and called me, and uh, yeah, we had a good dialogue uh, uh, from the start. I can't remember exactly when it was, but um, yeah, he was uh, laying out the plans for the team, uh, kind of a, a new... Of course, Klaus has been there before, but uh, the rest of the team is kind of new. Um, and it looked uh, yeah, really interesting and uh, exciting to be a part of. So, yeah. And now you're uh, in Kiruna. What kind of a camp have you guys had? Um, early snows uh, skiing, but tell, please tell us about you know, the camp and the, your, your sessions out there. This is this long distance skiing there, or have you done any in- intensive interval sessions as well? Yeah, uh, the camp uh, was supposed to be a um, test camp for testing some new skis and, uh, of course, training good. So the plan was to go to Saxnes in Sweden, but uh, the conditions there, uh, they were not so good. So we moved the camp to Kiruna. And uh, yeah, here it's um, amazing conditions. And um, for me, I got a... Uh, I think I got food poisoned. Uh, at least I threw up uh, the second day here, uh, this Sunday. So <laughs> the camp for me has been uh, not that good. So I've been isolated and laying in my own room now for three days and um, just starting started training easy today. So um, yeah, then I was cameraman for, for the other guys who are going test race. So yeah, for, for me personally, the hasn't been the best <laughs> best camp but um i think the other guys and girls have been training well that must have been frustrating just to be there you know vomiting puking puking while the other has been out there skiing and racing <laughs> yeah really of course it's it sucks and uh it's only one month until the season and with with these good conditions here it's and when you travel so far and yeah we're only going to be here a week so it sucks to spend half of the time uh, <laughs> throwing up and uh, lay- laying on the bed, but yeah, that's how it is. I'm starting to feel better now, so I think it's it's okay for the next days. Maybe you had too much Akiruna reindeer meat. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, maybe. <laughs> I don't know what it was, but uh, it was awful when it uh, was going on. Of course, you know, the stomach flu is always pretty awful, but let's talk about ski testing. That's something that you guys always need to do, but it's not that simple. I'm just testing skis. Let's walk us through the, the, the procedure. How many skis, pairs do you have? And do you, how do you, do you have a, like a kind of a system how you do it? Or uh, how do you test skis? Because it's not that simple just to find the ones that you end up being uh, in your ski bag. No, it's, uh, I think it's yeah, difficult uh, in a way. Uh, yeah, you have, you have some skis from last year and then you get some new skis and you're going to grind the new skis and you need to like uh, do the, uh, I don't know what you call it in English, but uh, you need to prepare them, glide them, wax them uh, to get them yeah, ready the base, and then base, test base them. them and... ba- yeah, yeah, base wax and then test them uh, against the, 
skis you already have and uh, and maybe if one ski is better than the other one in one conditions if they're change if the conditions change the, the other ski could be better so you need to have some at least some tests before you can be sure what uh, what skis are the best so it's better to get started early so you have some data to to base your decisions on and um, yeah but you always uh, want to have less skis than you have I think you yeah want to have like four or five uh, in each grind maybe but uh, always end up having more so <laughs> it's kind of uh, yeah difficult to throw out skis also the, the goal is always to have not that much skis so you can have control in the some of the the worst skis so about the ski testing and the skis first of all what brand of skis do you have and uh, now i use uh, fisher i've used for a couple of years so fisher skis and uh, what um, qualities do you value in skis and of course we're talking about double pulling skis i don't i assume you don't have any <laughs> you don't have diagonal uh striding or classic skis or or skating skis but in terms of I do I do you have a double polling skis or do you prefer the skating skis or do you have kind of both when you look for I think Fisher has pretty good double polling skis as well but some brands you tend to go towards the skating skis and try to pick double polling skis from that pack but how does it work for you Yeah Fisher have a pretty good uh, double polling skis so yeah we most of the skis are are double polling skis but they, they look like a skating ski, but they're double pulling skis. Um, yeah, that's the most common, I think, you see that uh, most people use. But uh, for at least for weather conditions and uh, spring skiing, you we all uh, we use some uh, uh, kind of uh, normal clister skis as well. So, yeah, it, it depends, but um, mostly it's, uh, it's double pulling skis. So you have longer skis as well that are over 200 centimeters. Yeah, we do. At least for, uh, it, all, it depends on conditions. But uh, for example, for Marcelonga, I've always been using the, the longer skis. So. And then what qualities do you uh, do you value in, in the skis? Uh, besides a good Clyde, but when you test the skis, uh, when do you when when do you feel when do you know that you have? A good pair underneath you. I think, uh, of course, uh, you can feel it uh, when you go on the skis. Like it's easy to to ski on, and that it floats kind of with the terrain. But uh, I think that uh, we do like these gliding tests, parallel tests, and uh, the skis, which is the best uh, on 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 these tests, is almost always the best on feeling as well so i think that correlates uh good so it's it's uh, not often i choose a choose a ski which feel feel good to to ski on but doesn't uh, glide fast so it's i think it's almost uh always the same so i think the the parallel testing that is the most important so the glide is the key there. What's going to happen to you guys? What do you have? 
what plans do you have after this training camp before the season starts in Usha? Uh, we have kind of an open plan now. Uh, maybe this is the last camp, but uh, we're considering maybe a, a short test camp in yeah start of December or something. But uh, I think we'll see see the conditions and uh, yeah how things are when we get close. But um, maybe this is the last one before Usha. And Usha, that's going to be an interesting place for you guys. Of course, for your team, it's on, on a kind of sort of a home turf Swedish t- team, and the season starts in Sweden. But of course, a lot of people, a lot of skiers and pro teams are kind of used to starting the season in Livigno under the Italian sun. How do you feel about the the new place, the new location for for the uh, season twelve? Yeah, I don't know. I've never been to Usha actually, so uh, first time for me. But uh... If they have uh, the sun, the, which is always shining in Lavinio, and uh, the pasta and the pizza is the same, uh, I think it's it's good. But uh, <laughs> we'll see. Now, uh, yeah, I, I look forward to to trying a new place. But uh, I must admit that uh, I, I think I'll miss Lavinio. The the pre Christmas uh, skiing in Lavinio is pretty nice. But uh, yeah, it's. A lot easier to travel to Osan for all the teams, and uh, so I, I think it'll be be good. It'll be a change, of course, and but I guarantee you, it's not going to be as, as sunny as in Italy because we are <laughs> up, up north. But it's a great place for you know for training. Yeah. I've been there several times, and it is a good uh, ski resort in Sweden. So we're all excited about the new new location as well. And that's a good segue for us to talk about this upcoming season. Of course, Usha and those prologues there are the first races. But what are your expectations now based on the last season, which wasn't really exactly what you probably hoped for, although Orefes Lopet went pretty well for you there, uh, second place right after uh, Andres uh, Nigor and ahead of uh, Arilusua. So that must have been a good race. But overall, when you think about last season... Yeah, of course. Uh, overall, maybe yeah, a little bit under what I hope for, but um, yeah, Orfield Sloppe kind of saved a little bit, and I was was okay in in January some in some races. Uh, yeah, fifth in top block, I think, and uh, I think sixth in much longer. Uh, so yeah, that's okay. But uh, of course, you 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 hope for more and. Uh, but then everything needs to needs to get together, and uh, I didn't have like full uh, like the the dream race last season. So, but uh, I I hope for this for this year. <laughs> have you analyzed it? You know, thought about it a bit. You know, what really went wrong, or if anything, or was it just the kind of bad luck? Because as you said, you were fifth and sixth. You were up there. You're always up there. Uh, so you're not that far away from the, you know, the podium. But it just didn't happen, except in order to slop it. Yeah, no, I don't think it was bad luck. I think I wasn't uh, like I wasn't good shape and uh, in much longer on top block and a lot of races I have had good skis as well. So it's just that I wasn't good enough and. Uh, it's small margins in the top and uh, you need to yeah you need to be at your best at least do I need to be at my best you have some skiers 
which are maybe better than me that can win races and do podium places on a medium day but yeah for me i really need to have a great day to to be up there and uh yeah i think i wasn't i think the results uh speak for themselves last year and that was my level so i'll try to up the game this year so and you have had a great day at vasaloped uh, five times in a row you've always been on a podium there so that race really uh, suits you well but next season it didn't happen i'm oh, sorry last season it didn't happen so that must have been a bit maybe strange for you that suddenly after five years you went there on the podium yeah <laughs> ah, that's strange because uh i know what it takes and uh i feel like i've been yeah kind of lucky as well uh, with five podiums in a row you you need to have have a, a pretty good uh, dose of luck and uh, so i knew that i couldn't take that for granted but uh I was yeah, I was a little bit surprised of my shape in Vasaloppe this year because after doing this uh, now for so many years I've found out uh, what works for me in training and preparations and uh, I've done pretty much the, the same for at least for Vasaloppe for the, the five podium places and I did that as well this year and uh, it didn't work at all so I was... I felt it already in the first hill that uh, ah this is not my day so I don't know what what went wrong but um, I got I got sick the the Monday after so yeah maybe I had some sickness in my body already on Sunday I don't know but um, yeah most likely if that happened if you got sick right after that must have been the must something must have must have been happening in, inside you yeah, yourself but going back to the um, the previous year when you had that really tough fight against Peter Eliasen, uh, who's now retired. And of course, everybody was kind of expecting, now it's Tian's, finally it's Tian's uh, turn to win a race and win uh, Vasaloped, because of course, at that time, Peter Eliasen wasn't really considered to be the, the, the fastest, the greatest sprinter, but somehow he was able to conjure up this really, you know, great sprint uh, right before the finish. What went through your mind at that point? You're like, oh no. <laughs> <laughs> uh, um, uh, it was kind of a, a special Vasalop uh, for me as well because the, the previous uh, Vasalops and podium places for me the the pace has been uh, pretty low and it's been a bunch sprint and uh, when you come into the Park and you feel like you yeah have some energy left and uh, ready to to have a good finish but um, when I uh, skied with Petter, Petter we um, yeah kind of went all in from the last uh, yeah, 30k so so uh, when I approached uh, the Mura Park and I, I felt that uh, this tire I've never been before in Vasaloppe so I knew that it was a totally different thing so and uh, that <laughs> showed uh, at the sprint uh, I felt like I had control up to when I was going to when he went out on the side and uh, should uh, challenge me I felt that okay now I push and now I sprint and then ah, it was nothing left 
I just felt like there was nothing, no carbs and no power left to go. So, yeah, that's how it is. Yeah, I think that was Peter's tactic. You know, he just wore you out basically <laughs> at that fast pace. Yeah, he's good at uh, good at that, and I I knew it. So I was I was really I wasn't like sure that I'm gonna win because I I felt how how tired I was, and uh, but of course I knew that. On the paper, I was maybe faster than Petto, but uh, I've done done Vasalopo so many times, and uh, and uh, coming into the finish uh, the finish sprint uh, like uh, with a lot of power left or not so much, it's a huge difference. So I think that's the most important thing to have a good sprint there. It's to yeah have have the most power left, basically. So you have all these five podium places at, at Vasaloped and in total you have 12 podium places in Bismarck Ski Classics in the Pro Tour. So you've been on the podium, you know stranger to, to the podium, but what does it take for you to win? Have you ever like stopped and, you know, thought about it? That Because you're so, always so close, but you're still chasing, you know, the big, the big victory. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I think a lot about it, and um, it's difficult to say. But uh, I'm never the the like the fastest guy, and uh, I'm not a kind of a sprinter like Nigel and Parson and and those guys. So if it's a really big bench sprint, um, I can be like in the top half or in the front but uh never the best and uh and i haven't been the best in the like the capacity races the the heels either so i have to <laughs> find the the combination and uh, for me probably a, a smaller group or with not uh that good sprinters maybe is the best way if i'm gonna win a race or if i manage to to get a breakaway by myself, but uh, yeah, I haven't been strong enough to do that um, yet. But um, I hope maybe I can, yeah, be it in the future. You tried that at the you know the Klanovis Lopet the roller ski race uh, a few years back. You know, not this year, but the the, the previous time when we had it, uh, 2019. But then you almost made it. But then they they caught caught up with you just before the uh, the finish. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that was brutal. I had a plan before there that, uh, yeah, like the this that uh, before Klaus Loppe, I was thinking about Vasaloppe, and I knew that uh, yeah, I had so many podium places there, and uh, I was thinking that this year, 2020, I should go for a breakaway. So I thought I should try that out in Klaus Loppe to see how it feels. So I didn't. Uh, get any company so I had to ski by myself and uh, <laughs> got caught uh, I think at the last bridge with a couple of hundred meters left so uh, that was brutal I just heard, uh, heard the clicks from the pole getting poles of the pack behind getting closer and closer and I was like uh, totally exhausted and just yeah went all I could so <laughs> it was like uh, watching Tour de France cycling when they eat up the the breakaway, yeah, that must have been frustrating when they caught up 
with you. But of course, that happens. But a uh, brave move, though. And you tried that. And of course, that could be maybe your strategy in the future. Because my next, que next question for you is that if you evaluate yourself, what are the kind of the strengths? You just mentioned that you are not like Nigord and those like strong capacity skiers. But you have to have certain qualities because you do so well. And you're not also the, you know, the tallest guy. You're very short compared to like Nigord and those guys. So how would you kind of describe yourself as, as, a, as a long distance skier? What are the kind of the strengths that you have? And then again, maybe the weaknesses and how do you kind of balance that out? Yeah. Um, maybe I don't have any, uh, I don't think I have any like big strengths, like uh, extreme capacity or extreme sprinting, but uh, I'm kind of medium at everything. So it turns out okay until the end. Um, yeah, or maybe my strength is like the the longest races. I think I've been uh, seeing that uh, I always perform the best in the longest races, like Vasaloppe and one time at Marcelonga and Ovelsloppe. Oh, and I don't have it uh, in my head now, but uh, I think my of my podiums, I think. Uh, like almost all of the races are the longest races or at least the longest race time so i think i'm i'm good uh when the when we when we've been skiing for three four five hours so you have a good endurance space and you you are resilient you don't give up uh i don't think anyone gives up but at least i have a good uh yeah possibilities or good capabilities of uh, of skiing of have a good finish and good uh yeah when when the the race gets longer so i've knew this for yeah a lot of years and i've worked a lot to kind of uh, uh get my capacity be better and to ski better in the like shorter and harder races as well because most of the races we do are two three hours so um you know i need to to be better at, the, at that as well but would you say that hard conditions also suit you well like orafel slope was a long distance and also hard conditions unlike maybe last year's fossil of it which was really a icy hot you know fast conditions may not be your you know strongest suit Yeah, I think so. Um, I think like the the loose and the bad conditions. I think that suits me pretty well. I don't know why, but I'm not the biggest guy, so maybe loose conditions is is good for me. And uh, and when it's like tough and bad conditions with snow and things like that, the the race time uh, or gets longer as well. So. That also suits me, so it's maybe a combination. So when you think about Visma Ski Classics, you've been part of this for a long time now, and uh, first with uh, Team Kuteng, and you were a member of that team for a long time, and now you have the new team, Team Kurira. When you think about the kind of the history of the, or the, these years that you've been part of it, how much has it really changed you know, for you as a skier? And when you kind of look back and see, the, oh, the that's when we started out now this is what we have right now kind of the journey that you've gone through with the, with the brand 
Yeah, it's <laughs> quite a journey. Uh, I think my first season was in 2013, so it's been some years now, and uh, yeah, I'm really impressed over the whole organization with uh, David in the in the lead. What they've been managed to to do. So and now this year looks even more exciting. So yeah, I think the. The committee and the organization really has been doing good things and uh, the cup uh, is now bigger than I would have thought for for five, six, seven years ago. And why did you choose long distance skiing? When did it happen and why? Uh, it was kind of a coincidence, I think. Uh, I got an offer to join uh, a team called the Team Enpo in yeah 2013 before the 2013 season and uh joined them at some camps and after that i got an offer to to be a part of the the team and go long distance skiing and uh the prof professionality and uh kind of level uh, on the skiers and uh the whole package was yeah a lot of steps up for me so I choose to say yes and just just to see uh, just to tr try it and uh, I haven't looked back since so I'm happy I did it and now thinking about your previous team team Kuteng what would you like to say about that team and what that team actually uh, gave you yeah team Kuteng was uh, some fantastic years I really enjoyed the team and uh, all the 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 guys, uh, waxers and service people and leaders around the team, the athletes. Uh, yeah, I have only good things to say about the team and uh, the people. So that was uh, four years in Team Koteng. So, no, three, three years. So, but really, really good time there. It was. And you guys also uh, showed some, uh, you know, tactical eye there, tactical savviness at Vasalopet, going back to Vasalopet again, a couple of years back when uh, Bedal uh, won and you guys really cooked up the good, good tactical maneuver there. <laughs> <laughs> so, but do you see something like that happening more in the future? You talked about cycling a little bit earlier, but that's always kind of the correlation that we always talk about long distance skiing being very similar to cycling and we get a lot of influence from there but how would you see the kind of the future of long distance skiing and the team play in this particular sport yeah it's interesting um, of course you have some elements and some tactics that you could uh, do as they do in cycling um, but as for now I think it's you can't compare it because uh, cycling is a a much uh, bigger sport uh, with a lot of uh, it's it's many teams with a high level and many athletes and uh, many athletes in a team have like uh, a role that they're only only uh, gonna help the leader and only gonna yeah maybe go all in for half a race or something like that and uh I don't think you you'll see that in Visma Ski Classics, at least not in the near future. Then you have to do something with uh, 
kind of the whole structure i think in how the the sport and the team is uh, organized because i think after all it's an individual sport even though it's kind of also a team sport now but um you, you don't see like uh like uh any teams have like only one leader and all the other guys are just uh going all in for for one leader from the start i don't think that's not that common so yeah it's i don't know it's hard to but 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 in the future maybe it could be like that but then you need to kind of have more defined roles and uh, the prize money and the salaries need to be distributed in a different way also so i don't know that is a good point i mean that that could happen of course then the other question is do we even want that to happen in in skiing but that is a question that they will there be teams that are only built around one as you said one main the one star and everybody else is kind of helping helping you know that particular athlete uh, to win races but we'll see of course we can always speculate uh, about the future uh, is there anything that you'd like to see taking place in Bismarck Ski Classics uh, any new type of races or locations or because we are constantly developing and coming up with new ideas. I mean, think about this upcoming season, new things again, new locations, you know, races back to back now, which is kind of new. You guys did it last season. Now it seems to be uh, kind of the new thing that you guys have two, <laughs> two, two races uh, on a one weekend, things like that. But anything else that you'd like to s- see happening in Vismaski Classics? Uh, I can't seem to think about anything right now. If you asked me one year ago, I, I would probably say a couple of back-to-back races and uh, one or two races that is a little bit longer, and that's what uh, what we've been uh, getting this year. So I like the direction the the cup is is taking. So since you like long distance, the long races, uh, how do you feel about these prologues? You know, the Osha, they're very short, you know, also Miss Arena. Uh, do you think that it's important to have those short prologue type of events as well? Yeah, I think it's okay. I can see uh, why uh, they, they have it. It's not like my personal favorite. Uh, I don't think I'm that suits me the best, but uh, for the cup and for the the sport i think it's uh yeah i think it's good uh you see it in cycling as well they they can have like shorter prologues or tempos so i don't think anything everything needs to be like very very long but you have need to have a good a good mix and um this year we have a couple of shorter races and yeah i think it's okay so next we'll talk about uh, training and how you train. But before we hop onto that segment, uh, I'd like to conclude this one by asking you about your goals for next season. Of course, we all know you want to win a race. That, that goes without saying. But for your new team and you being part of it, I, I guess you guys have talked about this quite a lot. So what are kind of the realistic goals that you guys are shooting for? Yeah, of course, we we hope to... To like be uh, be up front, uh, be visible, and uh, fight for for good positions uh, in each race. Um, so I think uh, 
both uh, yeah, Gabriel and uh, Klaas also wants to be up there, fight for podiums. And uh, for me personally, it's uh, yeah, it's the, the victory uh, <laughs> that I hope to that I can maybe achieve. So it's pretty simple. And you have a good team there, you know. Do you, you guys can help each other. Yeah, I think so. So I don't think, uh, yeah, there are, there's a lot of good teams now, and um, but of course we're we're three strong guys there, and we can help each other, and just like the other teams. But uh, when it come down come down to it, it's the the strongest guy who win, I think. So we'll see who that is. Indeed, we'll see how the next season, this upcoming season, turns out to be. But now we'll we'll start talking about training that'll be next for us your training you changed the team now you're a part of a team Kurira but did you change anything in your training or did that kind of stay the same over the summer and fall um, yeah actually this year hasn't been the best uh Best training year for me, but um, I've struggled a bit, at least uh, uh, now the the last months with um, with some post uh, Corona vaccine <laughs> trouble. But um, yeah, I, I had some good uh, training months in July and August, and uh, since that it's been going up and down, mostly down, but. Uh, I think I'm uh, now I'm uh, I'm back hundred uh, percent. So, but it's only a month until the season starts. So we'll see <laughs> how it goes. When you say post Corona, you mean like you got sick after the vaccinations, or what happened? Yeah, I uh, I struggled a bit after the second dosage. Um, not like sick, sick, but I feeling kind of like a maybe some sickness could come the next days and uh, it didn't come and it didn't get better and it was like back and forth almost for two months and uh, I was really yeah exhausted and tired and uh, not feeling good both on training and outside training and my resting heart rate was up and uh my heart rate at training were like a lot higher than it used to be. So I didn't know what was wrong and uh, I didn't figure anything out either. But um, since uh, a couple of uh, two or three weeks ago now, I feel that my body is responding to training again and I'm, I'm back. So, so that feels good. So you didn't go and see a doctor, you know, about those weird symptoms? Yeah, yeah, I did. I took a lot of tests and uh, but everything on the the blood values and all seemed good so yeah. <laughs> I don't know uh, I've heard of there are some other athletes that have been struggling with the same and so but I don't know anything what it could be so but it seems like it's over now I hope 
Yeah, I guess nobody knows. But that is, that is an interesting point that you bring that up, you know, that uh, the vaccination could have caused that, you know, for you. And, and because there's so so much talk about this kind of the side effects of, of that as well. So so anything can, can happen. But it's good to hear that you are back back on track right now. But generally speaking, how do you, I mean, what's your, I wouldn't really call it the philosophy maybe, but what's your kind of, basic foundation you know about training how do you you train because there are so many different different philosophies and and methods some people like pluck training some people like kind of the usual like andreas nigord kind of you know traditional two maybe two interval sessions a week then long 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 sessions and he's not really into mixing uh doing the vasalopas type of things mixing hard and long trainings and then again there are a lot of people like lager 157 ski team members like to do these vasalopas long sessions with really intensive uh intervals uh, within uh, and then some people like uh to do a lot of block training for example motende peterson it's very into the like you do have like intensive blocks and then you rest and so forth but what is your method uh, yeah, I've been trying a lot the late the latest years and experimenting with yeah a lot of methods, trying to to take the last step. And uh, I think like overall and now the like my basic uh, basic uh, kind of philosophy is it's kind of a, a basic uh, basic training actually with uh, yeah. A lot of hours and um, two to three intervals uh, each week on the like the the normal training, and then I used to kind of mix it up with some blocks uh, um, sometimes, but not like I don't have like one block each third week or something. I I have some uh, some maybe a couple of two or three periods during the training season where I maybe focus on having a threshold block or something like that. Um, uh, other than that, it's kind of basic cross-country skiing uh, training, I think. And how many hours do you uh, train per year? Does it change depending on the year? Uh, yeah, uh now I train around uh, uh, 950 maybe I think of course a little bit less this year because of the the problems but uh, if I can do as I plan it's yeah 950 maybe I've been trying to train over a thousand and also a little bit less but found out that for me that works pretty good so between yeah, mostly between 90 and 100 hours from May until October, November. But do you have some easy weeks there or you just take some easy days or how do you how do you kind of how do you find the rhythm, you know? Yeah, of course, um you need to have like the recovery periods and um if uh, for some years ago I was then I was maybe having like more tougher periods and training like uh, like harder in seven or t- ten days, and then I took like two, three, or four days uh, really easy. 
but uh, now I've changed a bit, so now I do like a little bit more continuity, a little bit more, not the biggest tops and uh, not uh, three resting days in a row either, so uh, yeah, I've, that's some changes I've been doing. And what about those intensive sessions? You mentioned that approximately twice a week, but then you might have some blocks here and there. But give us an example of a couple of your intensive intensity trainings. You know, do you do like really short ones as well, like the like the uh, team Ramutin guys like to do? You have even forty second like really sprints all the way up to, of course, to uh, threshold uh, trainings that can last you know hour or even longer. Uh, yeah, I've been doing uh, both, uh, at least uh, in spring and summer and uh, early autumn. I, uh, if I do intensity blocks, it's mostly threshold. And then I could do like, uh, it depends, uh, but uh, maybe I could do maybe eight threshold sessions in the 12 to 14 days, for example. Um, and then it's really uh, like uh, controlled uh, sessions, not uh, not that hard intervals, but uh, having a lot of uh, minutes and a lot of time and with uh, working on on uh, high intensity. And I uh, also at least uh, have been. I'm not gonna have it this year because now I need to. Uh, get some base training and build me build me back up again but um, I can have some harder blocks as well with for example five intervals in six days where I push a little bit harder than threshold as well so it depends how how the status is and how I feel how long are those uh, intervals of course they, they vary but generally speaking I uh, yeah, of course they vary, but generally speaking, a threshold session for me is uh, 50 to 70 minutes, approximately. And uh, if I do like intensity four or harder, it's maybe half an hour. Do you ever do like a shorter ones, like uh, 1K fast, three minutes, six minutes, eight minutes, things like that, or uphill yeah, like the the like intervals. Yeah, like, mean, yeah re- like really short intervals. Like let's say a lot of people do six times three or six times five minutes. Uh, some have a little bit of a longer recovery period, or and some rest between the, the intervals. Some really short ones. Yeah, yeah, I have uh, I have some some of those as well. The the harder intervals, I used to have a total duration interval time of. Yeah, maybe 25 to 35 minutes and then I can have like all from 5 minutes intervals to 40 20s or yeah the the normal normal stuff 3 minute uh, intervals so depends do you do those intervals uh, always on roller skis or do you use running or running uh, the nordic running or the running uh, up a hill with poles uh, I use uh, running a lot. I think it's good for capacity, and um, so at least uh, uh, until like uh, I do it. <laughs> I do it. Uh, really, I do it all year around. Try to uh, 
maintain the, the capacity and run. Uh, and uh, so maybe once a week I have a running interval, I think, and on average. And the rest is it's roller skis, and I also have a lot of intervals on the roller ski mill and uh, ski arc. So then it's easier to to control and uh, yeah to yeah have control of the intensity and uh, your current level and shape. So do you ever use cycling or swimming, rowing, any other sports in your training schedule or program? Uh, no, not that much. Uh, some cycling in the in the summertime, but uh, not that much. I've kind of uh, kind of chosen uh, like uh, running, and uh, so it's mostly running, ski erg. Uh, uh, I do. So you can't you can't do it all. I think cycling is good, but uh, if you if you, I can't like both run and uh, cycle and skate and swim, then it's no time for for double poling. So, so for me, it's uh, yeah, roller skiing and and running. So when Gear, you do uh, when you do do yeah. roller skiing, do you ever do skating or uh, the good old diagonal striding, classic classical skiing or classic skiing? Uh, yeah, that happens uh, at least during the winter skate. Uh, a lot or not a lot but uh, sometimes to recover from hard races and uh, also skiing with uh, with kick wax uh, on the roller ski and in winter I do occasionally so um, yeah that happens and then what about strength training how much of that do you do and it, and what kind and do you like lift weights or do you just use Kind of what they call the kind of natural strength training on roller skis, steep hill, uh, uh, steep hills, and 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 what is your method to get more power? Uh, yeah, now I've been doing <laughs> a lot uh, the latest years and trying out a lot of different methods, and uh, now I'm not doing any strength training at all. So for me, I've found out that. That's maybe what works best, but uh, during the re- during the, the years I've been, yeah, doing my share of heavy lifting and uh, all that. So, but now it's uh, it's nothing. Why? A uh, good question. Uh, like I said, I've been trying uh, both with uh, a lot of strength and a little and nothing and uh, back and forth and. I think it's difficult to know. You see good skiers who train a lot of strength training and you see good skiers who don't train anything at all. And I think it also depends on like the quality qualities you have, like natural. Uh, and uh, for me, I felt like when I don't do uh, strength training, I, I, get, I get a little bit lighter. Uh, so I lose a little bit weight and uh, I feel like I'm kind of uh, quicker and lighter in the in the long uphills as well, and uh, I also have tested that my like FTP or my lactate values maybe are a little bit lower when I don't train as much strength training when I do tests on the treadmill. So 
yeah, I think for me it's, I think that's a has been, I think I can do good without strength training, but uh, it's it's hard to know. <laughs> It is, it is. It's a good question because uh, based on all these interviews that I've done or, you know, these podcasts with you guys, it seems to be all kinds of, I mean, you guys have different different uh, opinions and different methods uh, in terms of that. Max Novak and you guys, you and Oscar Kadin and so forth are not really into uh, strength training, at least not at this stage uh, of your career. And some have, as you said, you know, done it in, in the past. And then I tend to think or I that the uh, the World Cup skiers may, might do that a little bit more, but it's a bit of a you know a personal personal uh, taste you know for for each one of you guys. Um, what about the long sessions then? Do you always go really easy pace, or do you have sort of a, a immediate pace uh, long sessions as well? Uh, mostly, it's uh, it's easy pace on the long sessions. Of course, you have, and maybe sometimes uh, at camps and stuff like that, you have some some long sessions with some a little bit higher pace or intervals inside. But uh, when I'm home training, I usually go easy on the long sessions and uh, yeah, separate the long and the hard sessions. And then before we move on and start talking about you as a person, what is your favorite? session what is your favorite workout the one that you like the most that every time you go and do that you feel happy oh that's a good question <laughs> uh, it depends um, uh, um i like uh, i like three hours easy uh, skiing in the in february with kickwags in the Nurmarka in Oslo, that's really really nice, and um, but also I, I li- also like the kind of intervals on a treadmill with measuring lactate and pulse and uh, like all that stuff too. So uh, kind of depends, but uh, yeah, a lot a long easy sessions on on skiing I think with sun and uh, minus uh, six degrees if I have to choose. Yeah, I think we all love that. You know, the sun is shining and you get to ski and there's a beautiful winter picturesque, you know, uh, landscape around you. So that's that's what makes this sport so great, you know, skiing, of course. But let's move on to talk about you, Stian, uh, as a person. I think a lot of people would like to know uh, a little bit more about you. I mean, we know your skiing, you know, uh, achievements. Uh, but now let's find out who you really are. As I said, you down I mean, you're skiing, you're the, you're the podium skier, you're chasing, you know, the big, big victory goal. But what goals do you have in life? What do you want to achieve besides skiing? Or is the skiing just completely overtaken your life? <laughs> yeah, maybe it's the last one. <laughs> At least uh, if I look back on the last uh, 10 years, maybe uh, it's, it's a lot of skiing. Um, but uh, yeah, it's... It's what I like to do, and uh, I really enjoy uh, competing and training and the life as a skier. So, as things is now, of course, that's uh, a big part of my life. But uh, you, you also see that uh, 
that skiing doesn't mean uh, anything like really uh, compared to the the valuable things uh, like family and friends and uh, I also have a daughter now so I like of course you value that higher but um, but like the the everyday life it's a lot of skiing and training as things is now so how old is your your daughter uh, she's two years old so great age yeah it is it's a uh, yeah great age and a stressful age as well but uh she's constantly discovering both, uh, new things <laughs> yeah 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 so it gives energy and takes energy so maybe i'm ending up at zero <laughs> after all but there are perks there are of course perks of being a father you know the fatherhood uh how would you describe it i mean it must have changed your life of course totally changed my life ah, I, i didn't know what to expect before i was a father myself but um i really enjoy it it's been fantastic and uh like the you see like the change from from newborn until yeah now she's two years old and like every week for her whole life it's been happening something new and uh for every training camp i've gone to if i've only been gone for a week and come home i see like a new world or different things or yeah always something that happened and uh i really enjoy seeing seeing her grow up and uh So are you married now or what's the kind of the yeah. marital status yeah, you? Yeah. And and how married, did, yes. Yes, and how did you meet your wife? Uh, I met her in in Oslo for uh in uh yeah, it's 10 years ago now, I think. 11 years ago. So we've been knowing each other for a long time now. <laughs> But was it just by accident, you know, coincidence there, or you guys went to a school, or you know, how did you know each other? Was it just in a bar, or? <laughs> oh, no, we went to the to the same uh, the same school. It's a uh, uh, Fjellhaug. It's called. It's a Bible school in Norway. So I was doing a year there after the high school. In high school, yes. Yeah, we met there in Oslo. Yeah. Have you ever studied? Have you ever gone to university or college? To study, yeah, uh, I've been uh, doing economics uh, on the side uh, of skiing. So uh, I finished uh, the master in 2018. It took some time, but uh, now I'm done. So you gotta be economically savvy, you know. They, they you know, they value your money. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we'll see. But I haven't. Uh, uh, it haven't haven't been so useful. Uh, for now but uh when i'm done with skiing i hope that i can use the the education for something good speaking of which what direction do, would you like to go do you have any uh vocation in mind that you'd like to go for after your skiing career ah <sighs> it's difficult because when you're skiing i haven't like had a internship or trainee like for a long time so i don't really know what's what's out there and what's possible and uh yeah what's not so uh, i'm really open for when i'm finished and uh, i also think the the economic uh education is kind of uh kind of wide so i think i can work with a lot of things so i'll just see 
where where the where life takes me <laughs> where the, wherever the wind blows but uh you could run your own team you know you know so much about skiing and the you know teams and then if you uh into into economics you know you know kind of the financial side of things as well that could be something yeah maybe i think that uh then it needs to be from uh, running it from back home i don't think i'll be traveling uh, <laughs> 100 uh, days a year when uh when I'm done skiing. <laughs> Speaking of that, because we all know that it, it uh, requires this, uh, uh, you know, profession of ours, you know, requires so much traveling. But what do you do when you like ne really need to kill time sitting at the airports and things like, or you know, now you're at the training camp, you've been sick and you haven't been able to train. What do you do just to kill time? Yeah, that's a boring answer. It's it's Netflix <laughs> mostly, but uh, also up through the years, it's been uh, been the studies. When you have a day off or between sessions or uh, when you're sick or something like that, uh, I think it has been good to to have some studies to to puzzle with on the side. And uh, but now as a as a father and uh, you, I don't have like uh, that problem anymore. So. <laughs> there, there's not enough things to do. Yeah, your days will be occupied. You know? <laughs> yeah, whenever, yeah. You, whenever you go home, it's a, it's not a question about how to spend your time, how to spend your days. Oh, <laughs> that's not a problem. Uh, but you mentioned Netflix. Uh, so you like all kinds of uh, TV shows, or do you watch documentaries or movies, or what do you watch on Netflix? Oh, I'm kind of I watch like everything. The uh, nothing like special. I watch what all people's watch. I think um, just now uh, I finished uh, the Bruin, the Bridge, uh, season four, yesterday. So kind of behind on that one. So that's the the latest. But uh, yeah, I watched uh, the normal stuff. I think just watch Squid Game and. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that seems to be in, in everybody's lips. Everybody talks about that. I, I'm a huge Netflix fan, or I'm watching a lot of streaming services and shows on, on those, but that's the one I haven't really watched yet, but maybe I'll get into it. <laughs> Squid Game. Um, what about reading books or listening to music? Anything like that? Uh, I read before. I read some books uh... But uh, the the latest years, I haven't been reading much. So um, yeah, and music also. I'm not I'm not a music guy. Of course, I listen to music uh, when I train and something like that. But then it's just uh, like uh, the the hits uh, and the pre-made lists. I'm not. I, I don't go to a lot of concerts and stuff like that. So I'm really um my music taste is kind of simple. So what about uh, as a family what do you guys do uh, whenever you want to go out or something what what is your like you know common hobby Um yeah that depends who you ask if you ask my daughter in 2 years she she likes going to the to the to the playground so <laughs> of course <laughs> it's been a lot of hours uh, <laughs> hours there um but uh, yeah we we try to to vary a lot we we live in Oslo so we can uh, have sometimes where, where we go down to the city and just stroll around in the city, uh, taking a cup of coffee and yeah, and we can also go in the in the woods, uh, having a fire, 
playing there. Um, going out uh, for a ski trip with uh, the Tula ski wagon sometimes, but yeah, that depends. Your wife is a skier as well, or she's into skiing? Uh, no, she's not. Like she, she's Norwegian, so she she skis, but <laughs> not not racing or anything like that. Just uh, just for fun. Just for fun, yeah. And where in uh, Oslo do uh, do you guys live? Uh, it's called uh, Bjerke Bydel, so it's um, yeah. It takes me ten minutes to run to the to the woods and uh, fifty minutes with the with the subway down to the Oslo S. So yeah. And how far is home in Sweden? Uh, if I roller ski from my home, I it will take uh, fifty minutes to roller ski up to Holmkollen. Mm, great. Now, the reason I'm asking because I lived there when I was young in in Badumhervik. So, uh, oh, okay. uh, yeah. yes, uh, it's been a long time, you know, but it's a great place yeah, to live. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, uh, if you were to pitch, you know, uh, your city because it is a known, you know, the uh, international city, uh, a lot of people. Uh, I remember, you know, that when I lived in America, a lot of a lot of Americans, you know, loved, you know, Oslo and Stockholm and the Scandinavian cities and Copenhagen. Uh, of course, maybe not that much Helsinki, but at least these three. Uh, so, how would you pitch Oslo, Oslo, to uh, to someone who hasn't been there? Ah, uh, I think it's. Uh, <laughs> I really like Oslo, and I think it's unique that you have the. Kind of the the ocean the, and the, on the summertime you can go down to the ocean and and things like that and then you have also the the skiing uh, at the quite a near distance so you have both the ocean and skiing so I think that's quite uh, unique and uh, the skiing is also, in Oslo is like I think it's the best in in Norway so uh, not the most uh, like uh, snow safe place but in January February when it's when it's enough snow I think it's the best place for skiing so um, if you like uh, like skiing you have a lot endless opportunities in, in Oslo and of course in the summertime it's a, it's a beautiful city as well yeah I think so so yeah I, I like it but uh, I, I don't know if I'm gonna if I'm if I'm living in Oslo in 15 years but uh as for now, when I'm skier, uh, I I enjoy it. And then, if I was, uh, if I asked your wife about you, uh, asked her to describe you, what would she say? How would she describe you as a person, as as a husband? <laughs> Hopeless and <laughs> annoying, and ah, <laughs> uh, oh, that's what would she say? Um, yeah, relaxed. And uh, yeah, determined maybe for what I want with uh, with my uh, yeah skiing and all that stuff. I think she she would characterize me as determined and uh, and driven when it comes to that. And outside skiing, um, yeah, I think I'm relaxed. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> yeah, you seem to be. I mean, very an outspoken, relaxed. You're always happy. Uh, but is that is that really your personality? Uh, do you ever get angry or mad? Uh, yeah, of course, but uh, not like 
really mad or angry as seldom get, but uh, uh, I must admit that when things don't go as you hope uh, uh, with uh, with skiing and training for a long time, then I can get kind of, I think I can be hard to live with sometimes. So I think uh, she needs to, uh, I appreciate uh, that she can handle that because yeah, when you have like like this uh, this couple of months when I've been not training good at all, so then you get kind of ah, uh, kind of uh, cranky. Yeah, cranky. <laughs> Try not to be, but it's hard to 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 not be. So uh, so maybe I think the that uh, affects the mood maybe more than it should sometimes. So you've been doing skiing for a long time, and and also you have an education. You have a you know a, a degree as well in economics and all that. But when where do you see yourself and your family uh, in five years? Still skiing, or where are you at that time? Uh, where can you be, or where would uh, you that's, be? That's difficult. Uh, every time I try to look five or ten years in the past, it has never. I've never, uh, it's never been correct so far. So I don't know if five years, it's difficult. I don't think, uh, I'm surprised if I ski on top level in five years, but you never know as things is now. I'm really motivated and uh, I don't want to, want to lay down the skiing yet. So yeah, you never know, but five years is a long time and then I'm, 35 so if i should guess i maybe have a, a little bit bigger home now we live in a small apartment so maybe a, a house or something like that and uh maybe maybe a kid <laughs> one more kid i don't know that's a great plan of course to make money to to expand your family and have a nice Nice house and nice uh, place to live. So uh, before we wrap up, as a kind of a last thing, which also could nicely uh, tie everything up or uh, sum everything up, is that um, name three most valuable things for you in life, based on all of all that you've kind of told us here. Three things that are the most important for you right now. Yeah. Um... Yeah, that's kind of easy. It's uh, it's family and it's friends, and uh, I'm also a Christian, so my yeah kind of belief is important to me. So it's it's those three things. Where is skiing there? I thought you were gonna say skiing at least one of them. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's uh, what you say. Skiing is the most important things of the unimportant things. <laughs> That's well put, you know. So those are the three most valuable things. But of course, skiing is very important to you, and uh, you have a great, great uh, career. And uh, you mentioned that you, 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 you're Christian, and you also mentioned the, uh, you know, the kind of the Bible school, the Bible studies that you, that you did. Uh, have you always been, you know, a firm believer? Uh, yeah, I have. I'm raised in a, in a, yeah, my parents were Christian and in a Christian home, and uh, yeah, I've taken that with me and. Uh, that for me, it's uh, it's been uh, important and uh, and uh, kind of a determined factor in life. 
So you're uh, certainly spreading spreading the good gospel of, of skiing, but also good gospel of of, of uh, Christianity <laughs> and God, God of course. You know, yeah, so. I hope so. <laughs> good, but uh, thank you very much, St. and Helgad. It's been really a pleasure to have you on, on our show, and we all really hope that you will finally win that. You know that any one of the races that we have next season, you know, one of them should be yours. <laughs> Yeah, I hope so. I'll give uh, give it my best, and then we'll see. <laughs> Indeed, and thank you guys out there listening to our podcast, uh, Usha Tulevi. And as always, remember that you can send us uh, an email uh, with your requests, feedback, uh, ideas, questions, things like that. We have lots of great guests coming up, and of course, that address, email address, is podcast at wsportsmedia.com. Once again, podcast at wsportsmedia.com Thank you and thank you Stian and stick around stay tuned for more exciting episodes to come. For now bye bye This podcast is a W Sports Media production